Good morning. Scripture reading for today is from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 31, and this is the word of the Lord. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. Everybody, good morning. I want to encourage all of us, uh, including our staff, myself, my family, uh, to really keep worship as priority. Um, I think over the past few months, we we noticed, uh, you know, our members coming pretty late to service, and so I just want to gently encourage you all to, uh, to come, you know, 10 minutes earlier at least, to, to prepare your hearts, to pray, and uh, you know, to eagerly await the Lord's blessings. Amen? All right, so <clears throat> uh, one clarification, the, uh, I noticed the title was A Series on Gender Identity. Uh, not exactly correct, uh, a series on gender and identity, okay? That and is important there because uh, we as a church, we don't play the gender identity game, okay? It's gender and identity, and we want to uh, reflect on these two things together. Uh, we are taking a break from the Act series. Uh, I, de I decided to do so, and I owe you an explanation as to why, and so let me put it this way. Uh, I felt that it was important for me to shift our focus a little bit, just for a few weeks, because uh, the world in which we live has become a much stranger place, <clears throat> where, you know, what is considered to be truth is often stranger than fiction. It's really hard to avoid uh, just seeing things, hearing things uh, through media, you know, what's going on in the world. It's, it's crazy, right, to be honest. Uh, you know, many, many years ago, uh, let's say roughly 20 years ago, I think it is, right, um, a high school senior in my youth group asked me, uh, Pastor Paul, why is it so important that we as Christians stand against homosexuality and gay marriage. 
I don't see what the big deal is, was her response to sort of my teaching at the time. And I tried to explain to her that, you know, for a society to not only reject something that is meant to be self-evident, right, such as marriage between a man and a woman. So not only was society rejecting this very self-evident idea, but then society would go several steps beyond that and turn the whole thing upside down and celebrate, right, celebrate gross deviations of sexuality and gender. And that is, I, I told her, that is the worst form of human rebellion. And in the long run, it will be destructive, not only for individuals, but for communities, for cultures, and for nations, because that's what sin does. Sin is a destructive force. Now, fast forward to the present. There are now over 60 gender expressions and counting. And people are scared to even publicly define what a man or a woman is. We live in a time when Supreme Court candidates being interviewed aren't even willing to define what a woman is. Right? The response is, well, I'm not a biologist. I can't comment on those things. It's crazy. We live in a world where men are granted Women of the Year awards and celebrated by mainstream culture. Brothers and sisters, if, if someone ever asks you, what is a woman? All you need to say is, a woman is an adult biological female. That's all you have to say. And if you're a member of Cornerstone, you know, please, I beg you to answer such simple questions with crystal clear clarity. Please do not engage in this ridiculous gender pronoun game that people are pressured to play, whether on social media or in your workplaces. When we start playing fast and loose with gender, <clears throat> do you know who suffers the most? Everyone suffers, but women suffer the most. Our young daughters suffer the most. Now, if you're still in your 20s, uh, or even maybe younger than that, this series will probably be more challenging for you to listen to because, you know, quite frankly, in the university classroom, what you mostly hear is how the Bible is a sexist book. Even when I was in college, that was the common refrain. The Bible is written by old men who were a direct product of a corrupt patriarchal society, was the claim. You know, and the sad reality is that our secular colleges and universities are controlled by strong, radical, postmodern feminist thinkers. Okay, if you didn't know, there are, there are at least three waves. Some are now talking about a fourth wave. But there are three waves, at least, of the feminist movement, okay? The first wave was relatively harmless. 
since it mainly had to do with fighting for women's voting rights. But the second wave is linked with the sexual revolution okay, and full-blown abortion rights. And the third wave is, this is postmodern, so it's, it's really hard to define because you have really an ununified voice. Right? There are many different sort of narratives, even within that wave. But this wave essentially empowers women to define their own sexuality in any way they choose to. Okay, so I would say, stepping back, although some good has come out of the feminist movement, you know, if you look at it from a, I guess, a, a big picture perspective, I would say, by and large, the feminist movement has been an incredibly destructive force for our country. And the church has unfortunately been influenced by this kind of postmodern feminism as well. And so there's an urgent need for Christians to know how Scripture is being used and abused or misused in the process. Some of you may not know this yet, but there are largely two camps in the broader church, okay? There's the egalitarian camp, okay? and then there's the complementarian camp. If you don't know these, these things, then you really need to do a little bit more studying because very important things are happening and have been happening in the church over these very issues. First, the egalitarians, right? Who are they? What, what do they believe? Well, in a nutshell, <clears throat> they believe that men and women are equal completely, absolutely, and there should be no gender role distinctions made anywhere, not even in the home, not in the church, not anywhere, right? <clears throat> now, there are some softer egalitarians who would support male headship in the home, but they definitely... Virtually all of them reject male headship in the church, which is essentially the larger family of, of God. Uh, I remember an older sister, as, as I was helping some sisters move, this is way back when I was a college student. I remember, it still rings in my ears, because I, I respected this older sister for the most part. You know, she was a senior, she was trying to give good advice to a younger sister who was probably a sophomore at the time. And as she was leaving, you know, leaving campus, she told this younger sister, do not let anyone tell you that you're not able to do something, okay? And this is what she had in mind. I mean, she was a committed egalitarian, that there are no role distinctions at all between male and female. And let me tell you that most American evangelical Christians embrace egalitarianism. And though our own denomination, the PCA, has faithfully pushed back against the cultural pressure to conform to these ideas, there is a growing number of younger pastors who are much more comfortable with what egalitarianism promotes. And so I would be very surprised if the PCA does not eventually cave to these cultural pressures, let's say in 20 years or so, there is some battles happening even now within our denomination about these things. There's also the complementarian camp, okay? Um, now, these are 
theological conservatives, or traditionalists, some may say, okay, complementarian spelled with C-O-M-P-L-E, okay, not I, right? To complement is to make something complete, uh, just how coffee is meant to beautifully complement bagels, right? Amen? Just how peanut butter is meant to complement jelly. Okay, PB and J. Where's, where's, where's my Joyce? She's somewhere here in the church. Uh, you didn't know? You didn't know? That was our wedding favor, PB and J, the little jars, right? PB and J. Cute, right? Good idea? That was Joyce's idea. <clears throat> Men and women are meant to gloriously complement one another according to God's design. That's how God set it up in his wisdom. We need each other, right? Imagine a society with just men. Oh, my goodness. How depressing that would be, right? But imagine a society only with just women, right? That's a scary thought as well. We need each other, right? We are, as is commonly said in theological or philosophical circles, we are ontologically equal, okay? We are ontologically equal. I mean, we're equal in being, okay? We are equal in personhood, but we are different. There are differences in function, right? In the roles we are called to fulfill, in this life, especially in the home and in the church. Okay, and we can, we can debate the broader idea of how we're to differ in the broader culture, but I'm not going to touch that right now, okay? Make that, let's make it a private conversation. Now, for the rest of our time today, I wanted to offer you a framework to help you think more biblically about gender, Okay, and, and one good way to do so is by thinking about gender in connection to the imago dei, right? the image of God. Right? So use the image of God as sort of a basic framework to understand. I mean, you can use it to understand all of life, but let's focus on this particular subject today, gender. Okay, so I'm going to run through these quickly, but number one, I want to just establish the fact that we are created in the image of God and what that means, okay? Number two, how the image of God has been marred by sin, right? That's the fall. And then thirdly, how the image of God has been restored through Christ. So number one, we are created in the image of God. And we alone, right, as people, as human beings, we alone have been made in the image of God. God doesn't look at the other animal and say, you too have been made in the image of God, you, oh, monkey, okay? Or you, oh, whatever, dog that we so love. <clears throat> no, the special, this special privilege and status was not given to any other species. And so you are not to view people as parasites to creation. Creation was given to us so that we, as God image bearers, as God's image bearers would rule and govern over God's creation as his representatives. That's, that's his assignment to us. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, it says. And then male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. It's important. You've got you to read verse 27 and 28 together, right? They go hand in hand. So he, he makes them in his image, male and female, he creates them in his image. And then it says, he blessed them and said to them, and here's, here's what's called the cultural mandate. Okay, it's very important. Right? This is, he creates humanity and says, this is your, basically, this is your mandate. This is how you're to live. It says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over all other creation, all other birds and fish, every living thing that moves. You have dominion over these things. That's the order, right? Man first, humanity ruling over God's creation and the mandate to be fruitful and to multiply you don't have to have five kids like, like me, but you know, I, I really encourage you to be fruitful and to multiply, to be faithful in fulfilling this cultural mandate. And so, you know, one way men and women are to reflect the image of God in their lives, right, is by being committed to this mandate, you know? Exercising dominion. This can only be done by people who are created in God's image because it takes a lot of reasoning, right? It takes a lot of uh, rational thought to actually engage in such a massive project. No animal, no species can, no other species can do this. You have to have sound judgment based on what you believe to be right and wrong. So only God's image bearers can fulfill this kind of cultural mandate. And Adam, the man, cannot go about this alone. He needs Eve. Because let's state the obvious here. Right? Man by himself cannot procreate. He needs a woman to help him fulfill this mandate. They have to come together and create new life. And, and by doing so, they're imaging God's work of creating life. Right? You have to understand that this is in play. Right? That this is why we cannot tinker with this binary of male and female. Yes, men possess their own unique glories and strengths. Women also possess their own unique glories and strengths, but only when both of them recognize right, their own gender limitations and acknowledge that they need one another, that's when they're able to beautifully fulfill God's mandate and procreate and multiply and be fruitful in this world. This image of God has been marred by sin. I, I could say more in part one, but let me just move on, okay? I think you get the point. This image of God has been marred by sin. You know, God originally 
designed men to be protectors, providers, to be spiritual leaders who would humbly serve and love women around them. But instead, what sin does, it distorts this image bearer. And he ends up becoming either a cruel or overly aggressive barbaric figure, or he becomes this very passive and uninspiring wimpish character who runs away from conflict or adversity. And God originally designed women to be helpers and to be life givers and healers who would possess a gentle and quiet spirit and faithfully serve those around them. But instead, sin distorts this image bearer as well. And instead, she becomes someone who either despises men or someone who tries to be like a man. So when people disregard God's original design for them, bad things happen. I want you to think about what happens in places where there's far lesser influence of God's word upon a culture or country, right? Where this image of God idea has not penetrated. You know, specifically, let me ask you this question. How, how, how are women treated, let's say, in Muslim or Hindu nations? How are women treated in places like China? And the answer is, well, they're treated as less than human, right? If it's found out that you, you're pregnant with a girl in China, right, you are pressured, sometimes you'll be forced to get an abortion. That's how women are treated. Even in the Old Testament, you see numerous examples of the image of God being forgotten, where men fail to act like men and where women are depersonalized, mistreated, and abused, where child sacrifice and the practice of polygamy were common. Right? That's because people are sinful and they forget who they are. But thankfully... God does not leave us to destroy ourselves. He reveals himself through his word and ultimately through Jesus. And it's through Jesus where we not only see the clearest picture of the image of God, the imago Dei, but where we see our brokenness being restored. You see, not one of us is perfect. Every single one of us is marred by sin in some way. But the gospel says that Jesus is the perfect image of God, and it's through him that we're given new life as he restores us. That all who come to him, no matter how broken you are, will be accepted, forgiven, and restored. That is the greatest gift we receive from Christ. But he also practically shows us, brothers and sisters, what it means for us to faithfully live out this Imago Dei in our daily lives. And so, in this 
third part, I, I wanted to offer some, some things that we're to notice uh, in the life and ministry of Jesus and how he treated women. So the image of God restored through Christ, okay? Firstly, Jesus shows us how to honor women as equal co-heirs of the kingdom of God, right? You, you can all recall probably a story in the Bible, right, where Jesus does not demean or ignore women as was common during his time on earth, right? He bucks the social trend, and he publicly approaches women and speaks with them. Jews hated the Samaritans and did not give women much respect, but Jesus intentionally ministered to a Samaritan woman who was at a well. It was an unlikely choice because she was also a woman with a shady reputation, but Jesus graciously shared who he was and told her that he was the living water and that if she believed in him, that she could be forgiven and and live a life that is fulfilling Jesus loved the women of his day, and he went out of his way to care for them and to minister to them. And the women loved Jesus, and they knew he cared for them. And that's why it was the women who stuck with him until the very end. All right? I mean, when, was, or when, when Jesus was on his way to be crucified, right, who stayed with him? And the answer is the women stayed with him. Right? The women were with him. And Jesus comforted them, saying, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Jesus did not treat these women as second-class citizens, but called them daughters. When he looked down from the cross, who was there? The women were there. Where were the men? The men ran away because they were afraid. Who was the first ones at the tomb? The women were there. Who did Jesus first appear to after he rose from the dead? It was a woman. So we repeatedly see that Jesus treated women with dignity, honor, and respect. Historically, the church has not been perfect in this area. But listen to what Kathleen Nielsen writes. Let me share an excerpt from an article. Wherever Christianity has gone, the condition and status of women has improved. In today's world where Christianity has flourished, men and women are both recognized as valued members of society. Wherever Christianity has been largely rejected, women have few rights and can be treated as something less than a full person. Now, some of today's women's issues might benefit from this historical perspective. Abortion, for example. How can the early church instruct us here? She continues, abortion and infanticide were both practiced and commonplace throughout the ancient Roman Empire. Abortions were induced by special potions as well as by surgery and often put the woman's life at risk. When a child was born, it was shown to the father and the father decided if the child should live or not. It was rare for a family to have more than one girl For girl babies were the most frequently destroyed. Babies were often left along the roadside for wild beasts or birds to consume. The Christians, however, did not approve of either abortions or infanticide. They began collecting the infants left to die of exposure, brought them into their homes, and cared for them. 
The caring practices of the Christians caught the attention of the pagan world and demonstrated that women had value, dignity, and respect within the Christian community. And so because of Jesus' teachings and his examples, this is how the church has responded, by and large, throughout history. And our modern history is no exception. But I also want to say that Jesus also honored the differences between men and women. And we see this very clearly, just to give one example. Yeah, I can spend more time doing this, but let me just give you one example, right? Uh, despite the personal flaws of these men, he only chose men to fulfill the role of the apostle. Okay? And we know how flawed they were. And remember that Jesus was not afraid to break social customs, right? I mean, he was the one who publicly shamed the well-respected Pharisees several times during his ministry, right? He healed on the Sabbath, which was perceived as blasphemous. He flipped over tables and publicly rebuked the temple leaders. Against social norms, he ate with tax collectors and sinners. So if he wanted to, he could have easily chosen six men and six women, but he didn't. And it's not as if the Jewish culture outright prohibited women from holding leadership positions either. In their history, they've had women leaders like Deborah and Queen Alexandria who ruled over Israel three decades before Herod the Great took over as king. And so Jesus could have chosen a few women, at least one, to be an apostle, but he did not. So that's an example of him honoring the differences between men and women. And so in closing, I want to encourage us not to downplay the differences in gender, all right? Uh, I know that some of you may be very uncomfortable with, like, gender, stere gender stereotypes, and I, I don't like using, using them that often as well, because I know the common reaction. Uh, I remember last time I spoke on gender, there was some pushback because I, I gender stereotyped, okay? But let me take a moment to actually speak on the value of gender stereotypes. And I've, I've done this with our, our men a few weeks ago during our men's ministry meeting. And uh, I want to share with all of you as well. You know, one reason why I believe there's so much gender confusion in our day is because we have completely done away with the signposts and guardrails that are meant to give all of us a better idea as to how to pursue manhood and womanhood. And I'm, I'm arguing here that those signposts and guardrails are these stereotypes that have for the most part, been banished from our vocabulary. Um, now, the argument against using gender stereotypes goes something like this. Because false stereotypes have been used in the past by bigoted individuals, it is therefore necessary to ban all stereotypes, regardless of how true they may be. One writer says, 
however, that this is foolish because gender stereotypes are the wisdom of centuries. Our reasonable reaction to the obvious differences between men and women, which, if honored and followed, provide the safest path to genuine happiness. Men are physically stronger than women. It is a helpful gender stereotype that is meant to help shape the interaction we have with one another. You know, when, when such obvious, obvious generalizations are rejected as untrue, you eventually end up with a genderless or gender-fluid society that produces greater injustice and suffering for all. Other examples of useful stereotypes. Women have a more nurturing quality than men do. Men are more task-oriented, and women are relationship-oriented. Men want to be respected, and women want to be loved. Women are more talkative, and men are more reserved. Men are less emotional than women. I hope that doesn't offend you. My, 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 my wife would agree with all these things. And of course, there are exceptions. Right? These are generalizations, after all. But these, these generalizations do help me steer my kids in a certain direction. But let me, let me qualify this by saying what we're not allowed to do, because I'm going to share something from this book. I, I, I learned something from my, my current readings. What we're not allowed to do is this, right? Because this is happening. Teachers in school are saying, hey, you're a girl, but you know what, you're exhibiting a lot of traits that have been traditionally seen in boys. And that means that you are gender non-conforming. Are you sure you want to stay a girl? And they sow these seeds of doubts and encourage them to pursue some kind of under, some other gender expression. Brothers and sisters, we as believers, we must faithfully maintain these binary distinctions between men and women, male and female. Secondly, I want to say that we're, we're to kind of, I guess, to balance things out here, um, we ought not to overplay, okay? This is a balancing act. We ought not to overplay the significance of gender. In other words, let me clarify. Please do not be like the rest of the world and do not view life primarily through the lens of gender, right? This is the mistake people make in regards to race and sexuality. You know, in our culture, as you, you should know, race, gender, sexuality are the three primary lenses through which all of life is interpreted. Like some people, all they can see is race. It's, very, it's really exhausting to talk to someone who, who views life that way. 
That's idolatry. As Christians, we are called to submit all things to the word of God and allow God to define for us what each of these are and what role they're to play in our lives. And if you, if you maintain the word of God is central, then you will maintain the binary of male and female and try to honor God through these two clear distinctions without trying to mess with them. And so when it comes to race, gender, or sexuality, please do not make any of those things your primary identities. Why should those gender expressions so common in our day, so if I, if I were to use, for instance, I am a cisgender, what would they say? I am a cisgender, uh, heterosexual, Korean-American male, right? That would be, be my designation. Right? Why should that be so important to any of us? Right? We are made in the image of God first, and he created us male and female, and it's not up to us to decide what gender anyone is to be. So in closing, let me introduce two books for you to read. Okay, one for, well, one about boys, one about, mainly about girls, although there's some overlap, obviously, okay? Highly recommend it, uh, especially for dads, but also for moms. I'm having Joyce read this as well, and uh, she's, she likes to do the audio books, which is fine. Uh, I, I work through this um, with my discipleship group, okay? And um, I, I encourage them to also have their wives take a look at it as well. So if you have boys, if you have young boys, the title is Future Men, Raising Boys to Fight Giants, okay? Written by Douglas Wilson. Uh, he's very good when it comes to this topic. Let me give you a taste. Before taking a road trip, it is a very good idea to have some idea of where you're going. Before rearing a son to be masculine, it is equally important to have some notion of what that is. So this book will help you, okay? So when, when someone asks you, what does it mean to be a man, you should have some kind of answer. Right? You, you can't respond with, well, I don't think that's important. That means you don't have a roadmap. Right? You, don't, you don't know what you're doing. Uh, very good book. Very practical, easy read. A uh, little more substantive, I just got this. Um, very important book. It's titled Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. And it's, and she, she, the, the author is Abigail Schreier, but she says it's seducing our daughters, not because boys are not affected, but because... The primary victim in this movement are daughters. Right? Disproportionately, daughters are being more affected than our sons. Uh, and, and you'll learn the reason behind that. But uh, it's a very important book. She exposes what's happening in classrooms. Uh, she exposes who the main players are, right? what activists are trying to accomplish. So let me just read a blurb and then I'll pray. One blur for kind of give you an idea of what the book is about. 
Courage is a rare, uh, courage is a rare trait. Abigail Schreier has in it in abundance. She defies a politically correct tide to write a moving and critically needed book about a terrible new plague that endangers our children, which is called Rapid Onset Gender Dysphoria. This book explains what it is, how it has spread, and what we can do about it. Right? So take a look at it. Uh, if you have daughters, especially, uh, I'm reading through it now. It's really critical that we understand what's going on. Okay? So I present those to you. Let me pray. Dear Father, without your word, we would be utterly lost and confused, as the world is lost and confused. Many in our day are claiming to possess freedoms and rights that you have never given to them, and they do so by disregarding the Imago Dei, while attempting to redefine their manhood or womanhood. They claim that gender does not really matter. What matters is self-fulfillment and self-expression. This spirit of the world has negatively affected your church as well, and, and many churches have ceased to be the church by disregarding your holy word. And so, Lord, we ask that you would bring people to repentance by your grace, including us. Forgive us of our apathy and failure to properly honor one another as co-heirs of your kingdom and as co-image bearers of God. We desire to grow in our understanding of what it means to be men and women made in your image. So help us to honor one another. Give us the courage also not to be conformed to this world, but to serve as a faithful reflection of the glory of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll stand together. Give praise to God.